But often, looking out at you all on the first night, I feel a lot of empathy, having done 10 million retreats, because I can see how peppy you're all feeling. <laughs> one time, uh oh, okay, one time, long, many, many years ago, I was teaching a retreat somewhere else with, with James Baraz. It was the first night, and it was, there was about 80 people, and the, the room was kind of like a, a semicircle, you know. And it was the first night, and we hadn't said, you know, please don't lie down when we're talking. We forgot to say that. And literally, I'm not exaggerating, halfway into, I was you know, sitting with my eyes closed, he was talking. I looked up, literally, two-thirds of the room was completely downed out, lying down. <laughs> Luckily, James has energy. He could keep going, you know, but it's like an uphill battle. So you may be lying down in your minds. That's okay. <laughs> That's okay. Anyway, so tonight, I'm, I'm hopefully keep this kind of simple, not my strong point, to keep it kind of simple and just talk about uh, really an introduction in a way to this way of practice, what we're doing. Some, based on something um, Seda Utejaniya likes to say, sort of tongue-in-cheek, talking about introducing what, what we're doing here just in a practical way as the three jobs of a yogi. And so I want to talk about, very simply, the three jobs of a yogi. And uh, they're contained in this quotation, a description of Vipassana meditation. Vipassana meditation is experiencing the mind and body directly from moment to moment with the right understanding. Vipassana meditation is experiencing the mind and body directly from moment to moment with the right understanding. And so those are the three jobs. The first one actually to begin to practice with right understanding. The second is moment to moment cultivating awareness, experiencing the mind and body directly. That's what mindfulness awareness is. Oh, the moment to moment part is continuity, not just you know, a couple of moments then kick back, but moment to moment to moment through the day. So, right understanding, the, the attitude, the understanding we bring to, to begin with, just some sense of knowing why we're doing this. Then cultivating, remembering awareness uh, with right understanding, which means awareness not all distorted by wanting and cockamamie ideas. And the third is the, the steadiness, the perseverance, the continuity. What's amazing, you know, Thich Nhat Hanh often talks about the miracle of mindfulness, right? The miracle of awareness. And it is so amazing, beyond amazing to me, over and over, that when, by experiencing through mindful awareness, What's happening, the experience in our mind, in our body, in this moment, in this moment, in this moment, directly, not through the filter of all our interpretations, that actually we begin to understand deeply, 
more and more deeply, the more we practice, the more continuous we are, why the Buddha taught to understand how suffering and happiness and freedom arise in our own heart and mind, nowhere else. That mindfulness, awareness, continuity is the condition that allows for wisdom to arise, that allows us to recognize accurately. It's really amazing. It's what I loved about when I first heard the Buddha's teachings and all along is that I felt he was eminently practical. Even though there's a great deal of philosophy and and things to study and very specific, fascinating stuff to some people and not so to others, the core, the nub, is just seeing how come we tend to feel as though we're living so much of the time in contention with life. And I'm, I know I'm kind of saying the royal we, but probably if you're feeling everything's really great, <laughs> maybe you were when you came here, <laughs> you're probably not now, you, you wouldn't be here. So he's saying, let's really look and see. It's not like looking out there and saying what's wrong with life. It's looking and seeing what, why are we living in contention with life? How can we come to live with ease, with peace, with wholesome qualities of loving kindness and compassion? What can bring this about? And this is where this moment-to-moment direct experiencing of our mind and body is the key to start to experience, because we'll experience directly things as they are, not as we think they are or think they should be. And then we'll see over and over how confusion, suffering, contention, aversion, wanting, whatever, arising in this moment in the mind stream in the heart due to causes and conditions, not because we're bad people or stupid, but due to habits, due to conditions, due to misunderstanding, how it arises, and by continuing to pay attention instead of running away when it gets unpleasant, by continuing to just notice how it is with this awareness, even that becomes a support for awareness, right? By even noticing how it acts, the confusion, we start to see how the suffering's created. And this recognizing accurately is the wisdom that allows for change. That's what's, to me, the coolest thing. It's not that we have to personally figure it all out and then consciously make some kind of change, because we don't really have a clue. But when the clear heart and mind of wisdom recognizes how things are, we naturally respond in an appropriate way. This is how wisdom is. So this is an incredible key. Let me give a very simple example, really simple. I have a, a little nephew who's just over two, the only, only nephew kid in my family, so I'm really having fun watching him, you know, how he grows and stuff. He's a, don't get me going. Anyway, so it's fun to watch. I'm sure if you have kids, you know, to, to see how they just naturally learn as they go through stages. So I just thought of this simple example for this. 
So you know how kids get these blocks, you know, so they'll have a thing with a triangle and a square and a circle, and they're supposed to put the right shape block in the right thing. And at first, when they're too young or they first start, impossible, right? They're trying, one goes in right, so then they think they should, and they're trying to force, so he's trying to force the triangle into the circle or the circle into the square. It doesn't work. He doesn't know why, and just keeps pushing and pushing and getting frustrated and getting angry, and then that anger, not only with kids, right, can then just kind of escalate and turn into not liking what's for dinner or getting mad, you know, and it can turn into a whole thing. Keep on trying, keep on trying, come back later when the anger isn't completely distorting attention. Because once the anger is distorting attention, we can't see accurately. You just think, I don't imagine a kid would be thinking, but this is how we would, what's wrong with the people who made this stupid thing? You know, it doesn't work. Or what's wrong with me? How come I can't do it? They're doing it fine. What's my problem? You know, and on and on and on. And the more we don't recognize the anger, the more it's distorting our perception and we just start to either, you know, send it outward to the world or inward to me, we're in contention. But as you say, he comes back or he's a little older, whatever, he's able to have enough steady attention that's not all angry or one, to just pick up the blocks and is really just noticing, just seeing what's going on and actually sees how it works with the shapes and really gets it, right? Once you get it, you get it. The anger's gone. All those stories are gone. You quit trying to put the triangle into the circle. You really get it, right? The only, th- what made that possible is just the steady, calm awareness. And when it sees how things work, just kind of like the laws of nature, oh, that's how it works. The whole problem falls away. Okay, that's a pretty simple example. But that's the process. That's the process that we are entering into exploring of our whole life, the whole process of our mind and body, how it works. Because without recognizing accurately, we're kind of, like, it's like we're fighting gravity, you know? If something's wrong, I can't fly. Something's wrong, I feel heavy. We're fighting aging. There's something wrong. I get older every year, you know? <laughs> that, that's, we do feel like there's something wrong when you get <laughs> start this, really, who made this up? But anyway, um, but at the heart of awakening, at the heart of what really frees our heart and mind from, from this contention, which, uh, yeah, from this contention, what really is, I would say, the essence of right view is this deep fundamental shift in how we perceive and thus recognize and understand and respond to our mind and body experience, to how the mind interprets experience and to life. Not a one-time thing, okay? Just forget. Just totally put it down that you're going to have one moment of a fundamental shift and it's all just going to be clear and you're going to float out from, from this retreat on filled with compassion and love for all beings and wisdom. You'll have moments... I can't tell you, and it's very embarrassing actually, how many retreats I have done. 
And I think I've got it now, okay. But it would sneak up in the background. I'd be going along, going along. Halfway through the treat, I realized I was suddenly feeling frustrated, which meant I had an expectation I hadn't seen. And somewhere in the background, oh, right. (laughs) I thought this one was going to do it. And then we wouldn't really have to be aware all the time anymore, you know. We don't have to do this stuff anymore. Just forget that and you'll be a lot easier. Because what we're really learning to do is shift our refuge. Shift the refuge from the habits of mind of self-centeredness, of wanting, of aversion. That's not like a should. I'm making a list. I'm going to stop being self-interested now. You know, okay, from now on, greed is out. No more greed. Hopeless, you know? Don't even think about it. But what we're doing is bringing in awareness to understand how greed is when it arises and how it works. Don't believe anything we say or don't believe anything the Buddha says that greed causes us suffering. Recognize when it's present and keep on being aware moment to moment and see what occurs. See what kind of thoughts come up. See what kind of behavior comes up. See how you feel. See how you relate to the world. That's where the wisdom comes. So that's the awareness and the steadiness, the continuity. We really, though, do start to see. And it's amazing that the seeds of suffering and the seeds of freedom and compassion arise in a moment, pass in a moment. There's no solid state, which is sometimes often unsettling and scary, but actually that's what allows for change. That's what allows for wisdom. That's what allows for shifting refuge from these old habits, from this confusion. So, at the heart of awakening of right view, and Steve's going to talk a a lot more specifics about right view because it's the first of the Eightfold Path, the first step, and it kind of goes in a circle and it's the last. So how can I possibly start my practice or even in the middle with right view when it's so complex? But we can start very simply. And so that's what I just want to talk about tonight. So in terms of right view, bringing to our moment-to-moment simple awareness, the, the misperception or the confusion, the thing we don't understand is a little more uh, deeper and a little more complex than we don't get it that a triangle is a different shape than a square. Okay, it's a little, a little closer to home and a little more complicated. But I would say the way both Ajahn Buddhadasa, who was a very, uh, in Thailand in the, in the last century, he died in like the 1990s, very famous in Thailand, um, monk, Thai forest teacher, and also scholar. And I was lucky enough when I was a nun there to be able to spend some time in his forest monastery. So did Franz, right? You were there some too. Um, And also, um, Sado Tejaniya uses similar language. So the basic misperception I just want to point to, to simply begin our practice. We're not going to understand it to depth, but just this is just taking in information. It's the first level of wisdom, heard wisdom. Things that we've heard, things that we've read, we don't know it 
in our cells, but we're listening, we're learning, you know, we start to learn. This is important because without hearing something or reading something or just having a point of view we never heard, we may, it's a lot harder to discover it on our own. So, and for, for many, many of us here, you already are in the second, you know, the second level of, of wisdom the Buddha talks about is really using our intelligence, our understanding, where you, you think about it, you explore it, you're really getting on a deeper level. Yeah, this does make sense. I can see it. But it's still, it's a bit prompted. You know, we know it, but you know, when the chips are down, no, that's not what we know. And the third level, bhavana, mayapanya, bhavana, which is really the insight level where like, like, you know, when my nephew suddenly goes, oh, yeah, right, that's how it works. You don't have to think about it anymore. You know that's how it is. Yeah? And so we're kind of bouncing around between those in a lot of different ways all the time. It's not linear. Nothing's really linear. Anyway, the way Tejaniya describes it is just to say that in this first wise attitude that whatever's occurring in our mind, in our body, our thoughts, our moods, hearing, seeing, smelling, tasting, physical sensations, the whole range of moods. It's just nature. It isn't personal. We take it all so personal. It's my fault, or it's your fault, you're making me feel bad. But we, we take it all so personally, we say, no, it's just nature. So when I said a minute ago, oh, notice when greed comes up and just really notice how greed arises and how wanting feels and how it... If you're taking it personally, that's not possible, right? It comes up and it's either this feels like crap, you know, let me go do, get whatever I want so I don't have to feel this anymore. Did you ever notice that's really what greed is doing? Or it's like, oh no, here I am, I'm so committed to practice, I'm really working, and here's greed, 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 and the more I think about it, the more I see it. Greed, greed, greed to look, greed to hear, greed to eat, greed to sit. I'm sitting and I want to walk. I'm walking and I want to sit. I'm sitting, I want to lie down. I'm lying down, I want to get up. Greed, 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 it's hopeless, right? That's taking it personally. It's not so helpful, not so helpful. Does that sound familiar though? Can anyone relate to that? You're saying, it's not. It's, it's just the way nature works. Greed arises, it's a habit, but it arises due to causes and conditions. And we'll talk a lot more about it as we go on. Me- mostly something pleasant comes up in the mind or there's something pleasant. The mind just leans in, it wants more. It's a habit. We don't notice, it turns into greed. Aversion, the reverse. And then we make up a whole story. Or we don't make up, but it goes into a whole story. It's just nature. When you're not taking it personally, awareness can come in and go, oh yeah, look at that, greed. It feels like this, feels like this in the body. These are the kind of thoughts that are coming up. What action does the mind want to do? Watching it with awareness, you don't have to do that. It's really, I'm serious, fun to explore this stuff. Because in that moment, just that moment, of simple direct awareness, oh, greed is like this, Greed is just as valid a support for awareness as a sensation of breath or walking or hearing. Oh, greed is like this, awareness of greed. In that moment, just for that moment, there's a sense of of freedom. We're not so locked into the story and, and it's just, oh, this is just what's happening. Mingyur Rinpoche says that, and I hadn't thought of it this 
way, although it's kind of obvious, that whatever's going on, you know, greed can be fiery or wanting or we're in some story or we have a pain. It can be very fiery and wild. But awareness itself in the moment is inherently calm. And so that's why when there's this kind of, call it like a, a Tai Chi move, a shift of refuge from, oh, no, my back hurts. What am I going to do? And then, oh, sensation is like the pain is like this. And there's the recognition of the awareness of the pain. The pain is still pain. You know, we think, oh, no, it all goes away, la, la, la. No, the pain is still pain. But when the refuge is in that, just for that moment of awareness, that's inherently calm. And it really feels, oh, right. Then we try to hold on to it. You know, and there's wanting until we recognize, oh yeah, wanting is like this. And there's times when the, the steadiness of awareness is really beginning to get momentum and whatever comes like that, the awareness is just starting to have its own momentum and there's that recognition. And when it's like that, it's, it's so easy. It's so simple. I can say that. I feel that sometimes. And then the next hour or the next five minutes, you have the... The, the first level of wisdom about that, you remember, I just have to be aware of this sensation and recognize it's unpleasant and awareness is calm and everything's going to be great. Fat chance, right? Because that's not what conditions are present right then. It's not because you're failing. That's taking it personal again. It's because the conditions for clear seeing aren't quite present. Because either the wanting or the aversion, the delusion, the meaning, it's, it's still there in the mind that's aware, kind of distorting the awareness, but we don't quite recognize it. That's why we talk about when you're practicing, sitting, walking, eating, whatever. I said today, when you feel like some tension is some struggle, just kind of gently check what's the attitude in the mind. Not like a, an analysis checklist, which is, you know, oh, what's the attitude? Sometimes you can just kind of, oh, what does it feel like? Nothing, it's really calm. It's like, oh, I really want this to go away. And you just feel that. You just feel that. And then there's other times when, you know, I was just doing a self-retreat and I can feel the tension in my body. I know, I know intellectually that there's some wanting, some resistance that's really kind of influencing the awareness, the being present. I know it intellectually, but I can't quite feel it. Awareness can't quite touch it, you know, it's just kind of subtle. So kind of like when, you know, uh, you're, you're pretty present, but your, your glasses just are a little bit wavy. They're not quite the right prescription, you know, and you're looking, oh, you just can't. And then you can't see it till you see it. And then, but we continue moment after moment, the simplicity of awareness, because then you know, oh, I know something, there's some tension, and I, I don't see what it is. That's what's happening now. Tension feels like this. There's nothing, nothing that's outside of awareness. Nothing that we need to get rid of or make through in order to make the awareness correct. But it's remembering that that's so hard. That's just dropping the meing, the doing, the ideas, and just, ah, it's like this now. That's Ajahn Sumedho's language, you know, and I, I use it so much, it really helps me. So say in sitting, I find my mind tends to, 
if something's going on like that, it tends to get a little more convoluted in the sitting. I find that when I'm doing walking meditation, it's just, I can just kind of, uh, it just kind of eases out a bit. I don't know. But we're all different. There's not a right way. It could be lying down for you or eating or whatever. But anyway, when I can tell it's convoluted and there's this subtle trying to figure it out, just, just oh, it's like this now. It's a, just a dropping, a surrendering into the simplicity and honesty of awareness of just how it is now. You don't need to know how it, it's like this. And then there's awareness again. That doesn't mean it fixes. It's, oh, it's awareness. You can learn to recognize how that feels. A friend shared with me um, something one of her teachers, a Tibetan teacher, he was describing just the immediacy of awareness, kind of how it feels to a group he was teaching who, who weren't particularly practitioners and didn't have the language uh, that they used in that Tibetan scene. So I loved it, though. He said he called it just being with the very, very now. And I love that because I can think, oh, I'm aware, I'm feeling my emotions, I'm feeling my step, you know, but this, you can tell there's just something like, oh, the very, very now, just totally here without uh, a pulling back or a so that or a needing to understand, or a subtle fear, if I feel this, it's really going to feel lousy. And then what's going to happen, you know? This is, uh, where's my mind going to go from? Just, ah, the very, very now. To me, that's taking refuge in the Dhamma, in the way things are. And that is the simplicity of awareness. That's why it's such a miracle. The steadiness of that, is what actually starts to allow wisdom and accurate recognition to arise. So Buddha Dasa, I mentioned him a while ago and got off into Utejaniya, but he talked in his book, Mindfulness with Breathing. So the book itself was just about working with Anapanasati, but he had a very broad way of teaching and understanding. So really, he wasn't just talking about shamatha, one-pointed practice. He's talking about wisdom, awakening practice. So he said, again, he said, it's all nature. All arising experience is nature. And he was really big on nature. He had a forest meditation center way down in uh, kind of the eastern mid-Thailand. And he didn't give a lot of instructions to the monks we just go and, and live, you know, for weeks, for months, for years in tiny little huts in the middle of the forest. And it was really the, the just being silent and aware in nature. After a while, you start to see, it's not like I'm in nature, <laughs> right? This, it's nature. It's all nature. And then he went on to say, um, so whatever, when it's nature, whatever's arising in this moment, in this moment, is the result of an inconceivable train of causes. You know, this is the effect. We can never understand all the causes in one moment. And essentially, this particular moment right now can't be different. How can this moment be different? It's here. There's no way it can be different, you know. Like I think it's Jack always says, give up all hope for a better past. It can't be different this moment. But with accurate recognition with wise attention that isn't 
putting an overlay of blame or confusion or interpretation that's just here, the very, very now, with that wisdom that can arise, the response that arises within this moment, well, that's what really can be very different. When there's the habit, you just keep on trying to throw that square block into the triangle and you never get... When there's this very, oh, look, that's how it goes. And quite naturally, it's also nature. The understanding shifts, the response shifts from aversion, from clinging to one of wisdom, to one of of metta, if that's appropriate, to compassion, if that's the appropriate thing. It's not an act of personal will. That's what's so cool. It's nature. It happens naturally. That the steady... um, learning to have some trust in awareness, and practicing, that's what we're doing. We're just practicing, recognizing this simple awareness over and over and over. The retreat gives us a support to do that because just when there's so much coming in, our habits are so strong, even when we want to do it, it's just harder, that's all. It's possible, but it's harder. So we need to kind of, you know, give ourselves some, some energy, some practice in shifting the habit. So, this is back to Buddha Dasa. It could be kind of funny. So he says, we're always appropriating the things of nature as I and mine. And this is the basic misunderstanding that wise view starts to see through. He says, we've been thieves all of our life by appropriating all the things of nature, whatever's occurring as I or mine. He says, we've been ignorant and we suffer for it. But when we become wise, and he says, he's talking about this last step of practice, we realize, oh, it isn't mine. It belongs to nature. And so we just throw everything back to nature and don't steal anything anymore. (laughs) So we don't have to wait till it's always, but we can have moments of that. Just in very simple experiences. Simple experiences, explore that here. I noticed, um, again, just this last month, and I was just doing a self-retreat at home. This wasn't new information, but just a different way my mind looked at it. We always just see different angles that kind of spark the interest, and interest is really such a key motivation to help us keep exploring in this way. But I noticed how with all the different experiences, the perceptions that come in, So what's happening? Seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, feeling, sensing with the body, and the whole mental world, which isn't all the constructs, but thoughts, moods, the mental states. All these things are happening and being perceived, right, by the mind. Noted, I started to notice how certain experiences or certain perceptions were privileged in a way as being me or belonging to me. There was tons of other sensations, perceptions, that pleasant or unpleasant, mostly probably kind of neutral. Maybe I noticed them, maybe I didn't. They just kind of go by, it's whatever, you know. Oh yeah, that deer is seeing. You don't even notice seeing. There's hearing, it's nice. There's warmth, kind of, it's neutral. Then all of a sudden, the warmth gets really hot, and there's a little aversion, a little unpleasantness, and the mind goes into aversions only. What's the matter with my body? Why is it so warmer? Why don't they turn on the air conditioning? What kind of, you know, on and on. That particular perception has suddenly been privileged as me. 
as mine, without wisdom, leading to all kinds of responses, I'm in contention one way or the other, right? Or it's really pleasant and we think, this is great. Finally, something's happening. I had a few moments where I really felt aware. I got it. I'm finally, how can I keep it? And when, how can I get it back? So it's pleasant, but we're privileging that as mine. And once we do that, that steady awareness that can kind of look at what's happening, what are the causes, what are the conditions that bring this about and how does it change, we can learn if we can watch like that. But when we start to clamp down around anything, as me or mine is kind of the awareness gets distorted, it may not completely snap shut, but it's not recognizing accurately anymore, right? So we spend a lot of our life like this, but, but again, this isn't like you have to figure it out intellectually. This is what's so cool to me. The steady simplicity of awareness is what we're learning. We recognize how things are. It's how things are. It's not like if you really get really clear, then you'll stop being yourself. We're just like we always were, which is maybe not good news. <laughs> Ajahn <laughs> Saveda says, it's not your personality that gets enlightened. I kept waiting to get a new personality, forget about it. But we get more friendly because it's nature. You can see the causes and conditions. And the parts that come from really reacting out of confusion really do start to lessen and ease away. Again, another, my friend passed on another thing her, her lama said. I, I, I liked his way of putting it. He was, again, he's just talking about all experience is nature, whether it's hearing, whether it's thoughts, whether it's moods, whether it's whatever it is. It's just all aspects of nature, cause and effect, you know, natural law. And he says, when we hold on to and solidify any particular experience as me, we suddenly get back locked down into what he called the narrow bandwidth of a sense of personal identity. I love that, you know? And we lose the connection with the vastness. We lose the connection with the whole, with the whole range. One easy way to play a little bit with this, not, not if you're in a big struggling mode or in a lot of uh, pain or aversion, but you're, you're kind of calm, but awake, relative. I find playing with, um, hearing meditation for me now, it doesn't work for everybody you know for some people uh, hearing has has too much uh, story or, or sense of personal stuff with it but for me just sitting and being present with hearing not listening not reaching out but just sitting okay feel sensations I'm not blocking anything else out but allowing hearing to sort of be at the forefront of what's received not listening, just hearing. And over some time, just hearing sounds come and go. There's a natural, what the mind does is recognize. It might recognize a bird or a frog or whatever. That's fine. That's not hearing. That's a perception. That's thinking. That's not a problem. But just know it's not hearing. That's going on, but you're not getting caught up into that. Just hearing, 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 hearing. And after some time, when the mind is calm, it can be. The hearing could be a lovely bird. The hearing could be, you know, the, the turkeys. The hearing could be someone stomping into the hall in the middle of what you're considering you're sitting and slamming the door. The hearing could be someone breathing really loudly near you. 
And it's just hearing. It's just nature. The hearing could be your stomach growling like, and you normally would get all embarrassed because it's me, but it's just hearing. So the sense of not privileging something as me, there's not that narrow bandwidth of me and everybody, everything else, me and the other. It's just what's occurring. Just playing with that from time to time might be interesting. So often it's thought, you know, we shouldn't be talking about or we don't usually want to talk about this sense of uh, the word Sakaya Ditti, this personality view, this tendency to, to privilege, to, to go through life from the center of it's all about me or mine in the beginning of a retreat or early in practice because it, it really, intellectually, it's very hard. We can't really totally understand it intellectually and it's a subtle and ongoing experience and plus it makes some people, you know, frustrated to try and figure it out. You can't figure it out so just forget trying to figure it out. We think, no, no, that's got to wait till later in the retreat or whatever. But this is what I... Uh, Santa Tejaniya says, and Buddha Dasa too, is, and, and Ajahn Sumedho as well. Said, no, this is where we start. Because we want to begin and continue our practice with the right understanding, with the right attitude. Ajahn Sumedho is saying, you know, some people he knew practiced for 20 years very, very sincerely. But without, not that we totally can understand um, that it's not all, that we're not a particular separate self, but without even looking at that. Or is Ajahn, um, Ajahn, that's Thai, Sayadaw's Burmese. Um, Sayadaw Tejaniya would say, you know, practicing, we're practicing from a sense of me, it's all about me trying to get something. There's the striving, there's the effort. You could try, put in so much effort, so much trying, so much sincerity, push to really, you know, deep states, and it could still be coming from this delusion of it's, it's all about me getting something to be better. He said, so why wait 20 years until you finally, you know, can get some insight into Anatta's word? Let's just start with at least having, having that intellectual understanding and just looking at that. Because it's natural. You'll notice the times just having it in them. You notice the times when everything kind of coheres and it's all about me. You notice it because it feels so, it starts to feel kind of yucky, except when it feels good. Because sometimes it feels good, that's why we keep on going. It's just comfy, like an old blanket, you know? Yeah, me. I would notice sometimes all these feelings of uh, real sadness, nostalgia, or thinking about my dead parents, or it would come in as, and I could see like a habit of mine, almost wanting to really sink into it. And I think, why? There's <laughs> like, there's nowhere to go with it. It wasn't like there was something I needed to think through or figure out. So, oh yeah, we're so sad. It's all gone by. It's all, what's that phrase? All is for by. They say in Germany all the time. All is for by. Yeah, they always say in Germany, all is for by, all is for by, it's all over, it's all. And I could see my mind wanting to go there. Why? That's so crazy. But it does, because it's just comfy. So, the simplicity and honesty of awareness 
is really what we're here to learn and practice. And this is what's our amazing ally. It's what's the amazing tool that really begins to allow us to see all of this. Again, from Ajahn Sumedho, I think this line is extremely important to remember. We don't create awareness. We recognize it. How much of the day-to-day, and I don't know, did you subtly or grossly be trying to create awareness? You know, giving the attention or trying to find it or trying... And it's like, it's really because that's what we know. I have to try and make something happen. That's the meing and the mying. That's what we know. That's what we've learned. It's incredible. I find it very hard to trust that just, oh yeah, trying feels like this. And to see that that's awareness. You're saying, yeah, I came here to sit and go trying feels like this. I came here to walk up and down sweating in the heat, going sweating and feeling aversive feels like this. And they tell me this is good practice. I don't think so. Complaining in the mind feels like this. But that means when I say it feels like this, that implies I'm actually, awareness is actually there with it. The very, very now. Just for that moment. But as we, day after day, what we're doing here is moment after moment simply practicing this simplicity of awareness, this honesty of awareness. So not to try and create it, but we start to see, you know, as soon as you remember, oh yeah, am I aware? It's right there. Am I aware? How can I get it? Am I aware? As soon as you ask yourself that, you're aware. And it doesn't matter of what. It doesn't matter if it's gross. It doesn't matter if it's some incredible subtle thing. It doesn't matter if you don't even know what. There's just some feeling. Am I aware? Kind of get more and more and more um, trusting. And as soon as we think, awareness is available. It's so simple that it just we think we have to do. We'll keep falling into that. So the simplicity of awareness is what I mean by that is this just landing in the bare experience without confusing that for all the interpretations. Do you know what I mean by interpretations? Yes. And it's not that the interpretations are bad. We can recognize that's a thought, that's a memory, that's a mood. That's fine. That's, again, bare experience. But, oh... Look at that little deer with its velvet horns. I wonder if that's the little Bambi that was born in our driveway last year. And it looks so cute. I wonder if it's lonely. I wonder if, oh, isn't it great being in nature? And eh, I'm so happy and yada, 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 yada. Okay, what's happening there? Seeing, thinking. There's a particular mood in the mind, liking it's pleasant or whatever. That's what's occurring. That's the simplicity of awareness. We can be aware of anything. We tend to get lost in the overlay of interpretation. And that was a simple one. When your knee hurts, the interpretation is quite different. When the person, you know, sitting behind you is making a lot of noise and they're ruining your samadhi, the interpretation is quite different. When you were doing really well and suddenly you lost it, and you think, you know, you're going to scream and go home because you can't bear to be here another minute, 
the interpretation is quite different. And so the simplicity of awareness is just learning how to recognize just the bare experience. Seeing, Utejaniya talks about seeing a lot, and I've been playing with it more and more. I find when I can be aware of seeing as a process, it's somehow just often, nothing's always, okay, just clicks my mind into awareness and out out of believing interpretation right away. So, because we see, I don't think anyone here is, is blind, but so we see a lot. We use seeing to function, that's fine. But everything we're seeing is a concept, it's useful. We can tell each other apart, we can tell what's going on, we can tell the dining room from the toilet. I mean, all that's helpful. We can see. But the actual seeing It's when you are aware that you're seeing. Do you get a sense of how that's different from just being in the looking? And then how we forget. So now I bet you're kind of aware that you're seeing, right? Yeah? Doesn't it, it just a subtle shift, but doesn't it feel different? There's something different? That's awareness. That's all. That easy. Just practicing over and over. So I like playing with seeing. It really has been very helpful. Gives you a kind of a clue. Oh yeah, that's all it is. That's all it is. Not to change anything. Not to fix anything. Not to, and this is the honesty of, of mindfulness, of awareness I talk about. It's just the simplicity of being with it as it is, just as it is. The honesty is, okay, it's like this. And, and to see how the mind might subtly try to make it, you know, a little bit better so it, like, reflects on me. Even though nobody knows what's going on in your mind. He says, well, this isn't really, I'm not really feeling this selfish and vengeful. You know, there's good reasons for it. It's not really vengeful. It's, you know, it's just, it's just, this is how it feels right now. That's what's happening. Just honest. Because even vengeful, ugly thoughts are a support for awareness right now. It's just thoughts. So the simplicity and honesty of awareness is what we're practicing over and over and over. And because the habits of interpretation and reactivity and self-blame are so strong, because our habits of focusing on the object of attention, the object of awareness, are so strong You know, have you noticed how we just get sucked in, whether it's seeing or hearing or definitely with mental experience, with thinking, with just, we start by being aware of sadness and the next thing we know, we're back in the whole story and then again, oh, right, all right, this is sadness. You have to get rid of it, but just recognize what's happening. Because those patterns are so strong, we've practiced them our whole lives. And this is the, the, the natural law, cause and effect. We've, how many mind moments? Have you noticed how fast the mind moves? How fast things change in your mind? Have you noticed that today? Seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, thinking, 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 pleasant, unpleasant, so fast. And we can't stop it because that's, that's what life is. That's how it's occurring. So imagine how many mind moments in our life we've practiced meing and wanting and blaming and aversion, that's just, you know, that's just what we know, what we learn. We keep trying to put that triangle block in the round hole because that's just what we learned. Kind of don't quite get why it doesn't work. So that's why the third 
um, job of the yogi is this persistence, this continuity, this moment-to-moment, that whatever we're doing, whatever activity we're doing, becomes the ground of awareness practice. That's why this schedule, awareness with everything. And this is only possible, I mean, it's not possible in the beginning anyway, but it's only possible if we're bringing this relaxed, settled back, trusting that we just have to recognize awareness, not trying to create it. If you're trying to create it, you're going to burn out really fast, right? It's just pushing, pushing, wanting. It's like, oh, what's happening now? Awareness. It's been two hours and you haven't been aware. Oh, no, I haven't been aware. Well, now I'm aware. Here we are. There's awareness. When that's the attitude, it's nature. We're just starting to understand how it works moment after moment. Then with this relaxed kind of just whatever's occurring is okay. We're not trying to veer it in another direction. That's when the perseverance, the wise effort really, the continuity, the momentum of awareness begins to start coming in of itself. It takes a little time. It really takes some trust and it takes some patience. <laughs> Tejaniya says one, you know, patience is uh, technically obvious an aspect of metta, of loving kindness, a wholesome state. It arises from wisdom. But greed... Tejaniya says, greed is looking for a result, right? You can be working really hard trying to be aware and greed is driving the bus. That's when you're going to kind of flame out. But you're really sincere. You're really trying to be aware so that you feel better or whatever the heck, you know? <sighs> Doesn't work. And you, patience won't really be very accessible because patience is an aspect of wisdom. Wisdom, that sense of settling back, trusting awareness, and see what are the conditions that support my recognizing awareness here? What are the conditions that seem to um, starve recognizing awareness? The Buddha used that that, um, metaphor a lot, feeding and starving. What feeds wholesome mind states or what feeds the hindrances? What starves the hindrances, what starves wholesome mind states. So here, really seeing it, we're not here for nine days in a short-term push for some big experience that's going to do it. We're really here to spend nine days and nights practicing recognizing awareness. I know, it's not very exciting. You're not going to be able to like show a lot for it, but it really, really deeply shifts and strengthens and changes our habits. It's not that it stays, but we remember. Every time you can remember and trust, that remembrance and trusting is available in daily life because it's not dependent on a certain position or a deep level of concentration or of having everybody quiet or of feeling good It's not dependent on any particular experience. You may find that the the thing that most supports you in remembering awareness tomorrow is taking a walk in the woods. And not the woods, that's Massachusetts in the fields. 
Then the next day you say, oh, that was really good. That's what supported my awareness. So I'm going to go for a three-hour hike, which I'm not recommending. You go for a three-hour hike, but you're not really looking at what's supporting awareness. You're back in memory, and you completely blow yourself out, right? One of the reasons we have the open schedule is because, as Tejaniya says, it actually allows us and requires of us that we tune into what's going on in our mind and body with wisdom and see what's feeding recognizing awareness now. So it's not that sitting an hour is somehow better, for example. You may think that you sit an hour, but really after half an hour, you're filled with pain. The aversion to the pain is so strong that awareness can't really recognize it. You're just spinning, spinning, spinning. So you're sitting there for half an hour feeding aversion. Much more useful to stand up, make yourself comfortable, or go out and do some walking and rediscover balanced awareness. What's supporting your balanced awareness? Or it may be the reverse. You sit for, you know, five minutes, and you think, oh, no, i got to go walk. That'd be better. Nothing's happening. And you walk, and, well, no, this isn't really juicy. Let me go sit. And then you start to see, oh, this is just wanting, wanting, wanting. So let me just stay in one posture for a while and explore wanting. And that brings in the balanced awareness. Do you see what I mean? So this is like really making the practice our own from our own understanding, our own wisdom. And this is what we take into our life with us, understanding how it works understanding and trusting that awareness is to recognize, not to create, that all aspects of the day can be supports for awareness. Not all day, every day. It really takes a lot of patience, so just relax. Relax, observe, and no matter how long it's been since you remembered awareness, as soon as you remember who you are, and we're only ever here right now. So that's the three jobs of the yogi. Right view, it's all nature. Just play with that. Don't force it. Just play with it. It's all nature. Simplicity and honesty of awareness, mindful attention to whatever's occurring just as it is. And this, this persistence, this willingness to keep showing up, to keep remembering. Oh, one last thing I want to say. What really supports this willingness, this persistence, not that we can always access it, is to reset our intention, our motivation. Because we have to kind of keep remembering, like retune into why the heck am I doing this? Sometimes it's just intellectual, but sometimes we really can reset it. So like I mentioned when taking the refuges, for me that often will do it. I'll remind, right for me trusting the Dhamma. Oh yes, this potential the Buddha, potential for awakening, right. Maybe I can't understand the direct link between being aware of knee pain and awakening, but let me trust it. This is why I'm doing this. Or whatever is true for you. I'm not trying to say what your motivation should be. And then trusting even simply, this is again from, from Mingyur Rinpoche. Let me see, I want to quote this correctly. He says, to remember, in terms of patience and the intention strengthening, we're using our attention to any object of meditation to support recognition of awareness, what I've been saying. So, since our intention 
is not to get completely absorbed into any object, so absorbed that we lose touch with everything else, right? The intention is that whatever's occurring helps us recognize awareness. So we'll forget that, we'll get absorbed, and then we'll remember, right? So this is what I really like, the way he said it. So as we set this intention to recognize awareness, why we're blabbing about it day and night, why we keep remembering, every time that there's just that moment of setting the intention to recognize awareness, that's all. Every time we do this, the mind will start to incline in that direction. It's just natural. And so the steady practice will itself begin to bring about the natural recognition of awareness. And that's when the recognition of awareness starts to have momentum. So in the beginning, we have to keep consciously remembering, we consciously setting, all right, my intention is to recognize awareness. My intention is to recognize awareness. We forget, we set the intention. But that's inclining the mind. That's changing the kind of rut that it moves in. And it really does start to do itself after a while. So, thank you very much for your kind attention. And we just like to sit quietly for like 30 seconds or so. Thank you. Thank you for sitting up. And for those, those who feel it will support their awareness. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.